0: Do you only talk to God when you're in need of a quick fix? Well, the funny thing is you can't just kind of follow God. You need to go all in because God is looking for a lifelong commitment. Hey folks, it's Karen G. from the Tower Hill Communications team. Thanks for listening into our weekly podcast. We hope this message gives you inspiration and clarity. So feel free to share this with someone that you know so that they'll feel inspired too. Now join us for Chapter 15 in our sermon series called The Story. This week we hear about one of God's messengers, the prophet Elijah. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. Why is it that people of faith forget about what God has done? Why is it that people of faith forget God's past faithfulness? Well, I think it's to do, like we talked about in the prayer time, it's to do with the stuff of life. It's to do with all the pressures and anxieties and fears and the, simple, the pace of life. that sometimes... We forget. Well, there's a lot of forgetting going on in the nation of Israel. So now we're at the point where the next king, who takes over for Jeroboam in the north, comes to power. And, spoiler alert, it does not go well. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. If you've been following the story with us, you know that's saying something. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. Not only is that a wonderful band name, but Ethbaal, king of Sidonians, Ethbal is a name that has meaning that literally means with Baal. Baal was a pagan god that was worshipped during that time in antiquity. So the name was, I married somebody whose dad is with the wrong god. And this, of course, doesn't go well. And, uh, and he began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an offer for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel... Then did all the kings of Israel before him. Yikes. You can see this is going very badly. Which is exactly what God said would probably happen if the nation of Israel took on a king. Said, just know, eyes wide open, what you're going to get when you put a human being in charge of all of you? And it gets worse and worse and worse. I want to unpack this though a little bit because it has meaning for the rest of the story, and that is who who are these pagan gods that we're talking about? So Baal, which it's really pronounced Baal, but nobody ever says it that way, so we'll just say Baal, um, can refer to many pagan gods in antiquity, but this time referred to a weather god who brought or denied rain. This is important for the next part of the story. And then uh, talked about Ahab raising an Asherah pole. So Asherah referred to the fertility god that was often worshipped around Asherah poles that were trees or stones set up in the high places. The thinking was, in those days, was you build a temple on top of a mountain because it's, it's the space that's thinnest between earth and heaven. So you set up all of these other, like, Asherah poles and things to worship God. So Ahab was doing all of this. And as as you're reading this and sort of seeing what Ahab is doing, I, I can't escape the question, how could they forget about God? How could they ever forget? After all that God has done, after the miraculous ways that they've been delivered, beyond their wildest dreams, over and over and over again, how can they forget God? How could they forget God so badly? And then sometimes I just ask that question about myself. How could I ever forget God? When I was in my mid-20s, I remember uh, I had decided I I wasn't going to get married because I just didn't think God was going to grant that to me. I really wanted um, to be married and to have a family. It's so funny looking back that in my mid-20s, I'm already giving up. Like, dude, you have no idea. That was a few years ago, and uh, I remember thinking, I was kind of consigning myself to the fact that, or resigning myself to the fact that it wasn't going to happen for me, and then God, through kind of like this crazy, miraculous series of events, gets me to meet Karen on a mission trip that I was going to back out of two days before. I almost didn't go. And then, like, all these things aligned. Like, we both met at the same time at the camp. We were assigned to ride in the same car the first day of camp, like all these things that there's no way anybody could have planned or no way that it could all stack up to coincidence. And it's like it was one of the biggest answers of a dream, answers of God's blessing in my life that, I've, that I have ever had. It was a huge, huge, miraculous intervention by God. However, that was like half a lifetime ago. Why is it now that when I'm up against it, when I'm facing something that I don't know how to handle, that I'm real quick to forget that God's gotten me through much harder, much worse, before? Why is it that I'm so quick to look at other answers instead of simply trusting that God's got this? Well, I suspect it has something to do with just, again, we're all trying to figure life out, and it's coming at us 100 miles an hour, and we're trying to make a million decisions all the time. And Well, sometimes we forget that there are supernatural answers to our natural problems. How could I ever forget, forget God? I think it's when I'm looking for a quick fix. Listen, God's not known as the quick fix God. If you came in here this morning looking for a quick fix, I'm sorry to disappoint you. That's not usually how God rolls. God's a God of process. And this one time I remember I had a flat and I bust out the old emergency kit with the can of trusty fix a flat. Now, let the record show I am not the handiest of people. And my beloved miracle wife, Karen, will attest to that. So, I'm a, however, I know how to read the instructions and operate the fix a flat. So, I had a flat tire. I get out the fix a flat. I go and I use it. And of course, the dumb thing doesn't work. It's like I would have had better luck getting a dog to breathe into the nozzle of the tire <laughs> than for this to actually work. And I was so mad because I'm like, this is, you had one job. This is, you're supposed to, anyway. It doesn't work. And, and, but I was thinking, even if it had worked, that wouldn't have been the permanent solution. That's only to get me to the gas station. At some point, I got to replace the tire. And I think sometimes in our lives, we're tempted to think that the quick fix is the solution. Because we hate waiting, we're super impatient, fear grows with time, anxiety grows over time. The longer we go without a solution, the more anxious we become. The more we're looking to, I just got to resolve this. Got to get through it. And, and sometimes we reach for things that aren't God because we don't know what to do. And it's about as successful as a dog breathing into the nozzle of your tire. It never really gets you the healing and wholeness and flourishing that God wants Maybe it might get you to the gas station, but it's not the final solution. I think we do this with Jesus all the time. I think when many people come to Jesus, they're looking for a quick fix. Just give me what I need. Is there like a minimum bar I need to like get the benefits? Give me the cliff notes, dude. Like I I don't got time to read the whole story. After all, I need a quick fix i just got to get there. I just need God to show up. I need just God to resolve this. And listen, one of the great honors of my life is walking alongside people when they're going through difficult situations. But a lot of the time, it's, how do I get out of this emergency? What do I need to give to Jesus in order for him to give back so that I get out? And the problem with that way of thinking is, I mean, there are several problems to that, but the thing is, Jesus isn't just about the quick fix. He wants a process that's going to restore and heal you for your flourishing. And there's no such thing as kind of having faith. It's like kind of being pregnant. You are or you're, or you're not. I mean, it's the same with faith. Like You either trust and believe or you don't. I think what it is, it's like people are like, just give me, give me the cliff notes, but don't make me uncomfortable by making me think I gotta give something more than I'm willing to give at this time. And that's just not mine to control. I mean, Jesus just said, follow me or don't. You can't kind of follow me. You're not gonna know where I am. And here's what's at stake. If we're not careful we're going to miss what god really has what he wants to work through the situation to make us whole now for king ahab during this time maybe he was looking for quick fixes and maybe he was encouraging the nation of israel it was like they forgot about god clearly and we're like well we're just going to chase after these other guys because hey if if you need rain you know you go to that god and if you need You got fertility issues, you go to this God, right? I mean, this is like, we got the quick fix here. And God now intervenes in a really dramatic, things get more and more dramatic because the stakes keep getting higher. We've seen prophets all along this journey. Prophets have always been like the course corrector of the king, God's messengers to his lost people. However, now we see in prophets, they start to display the power of God. And there are some miracles that start happening through these prophets, which is new. And I think it's because things have unraveled and derailed so quickly and so badly, God needed to shake them up, to remind them of who has the power and who doesn't. And this is exactly where we are in this part of the story. So we see Elijah comes on to the scene. And Elijah, so just like Jezebel's dad had his name meant to be with this other God, be with Baal, So Elijah had meaning in his name. It was a great polar opposite, which means my God is Yahweh. My God's the one true God. And we started seeing all these displays of power. And I love it. So think now about Baal. He's the weather God who is all about bringing the rain. And what do we have here? Elijah says, uh, tell Ahab it's not going to rain for three and a half years. I'm going to show you. You pray all you want to that weather God. not going to do anything. Because I have the maker of the heaven and earth whom I'm praying to, the one true God. Then there are some miraculous things that happened. So uh, he was able to miraculously provide food uh, for Elijah and this miraculous provision to a widow and her son. And then other amazing things happens. Uh, the widow's son dies, and it was the power of God through Elijah that resurrected the widow. So we had a resurrection in here through one of God's prophets, We had this great showdown between the prophets of Baal and uh, and, uh, Elijah. So 450 prophets of Baal. It was a big test. They said, okay, we're going to go on the top of the mountain, and we're each going to set up an altar. And whichever God's real is going to set the sacrifice on fire. Right? It's this great showdown. And so uh, the 450 prophets of Baal are calling out to Baal. And like Elijah's talking smack the whole time. He really is. He said, oh, perhaps he can't hear you. Pray a little louder. It's, it's great. It's a wonderful moment in scripture. And then when it's Elijah's turn, they're like, well, it's been dry for three and a half years, so let's make sure that it's not an accidental fire. And they douse, douse the wood with water a couple of times. And they're like, you know, ha see what happens now. And Elijah calls upon God, the thing sets on fire. And it's this huge, wonderful, miraculous moment to show that the power of God is greater than the power of God. Of these fake gods, the power of this world. He even meets with God on top of Mount Sinai. This is the moment where Elijah seeks God and meets him in the gentle whisper. So it's this really amazing thing now. We see Elijah as a prophet now displaying the power of God. Why? To show all the non believers what real power is and where it comes from. Because that kind of power is all they understood. That was all that would get their attention. Now, when Elijah is getting ready to end his ministry, he does a handoff. And this handoff's important, and we'll see why in a little bit. But this handoff happens to the prophet Elisha. Again, no way to get those confused. Elijah, Elisha. So let me, let me read the moment of the handoff that happens in 1 Kings 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Now, this was the moment of significance. Have you heard the phrase, picking up, taking your mantle, taking the mantle from someone else? This is what this is. The passing of the cloak was to say, I am now giving you this responsibility as prophet of God. And, you know, you are now conferred with all of kind of the wonders of God that he will use through you. You are now going to be the prophet. And, you know, you kind of wonder, like, somebody hands off something like that to you. I don't know, like, I'd have a couple of questions. Like, excuse me, how exactly is is there like a special way I'm supposed to pray, or like I get a free parking spot, or like what, what does that look like? What does it look like actually to do that? Like I would have some questions. I might not be all in right away. Maybe it would take me a little time to get here. Here's Elisha's response, verse 21. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became... His servant. In other words, he went all in. He was handed the cloak, and not only did he follow, but he removed the possibility of him going back. Slaughtering the oxen was kind of the last thing. Like, really tough to work with the oxen after that. And I think this speaks to our relationship with Jesus all the time. It's like, we've got the oxen, we've got this old life that we want to go back to, that Scripture from Corinthians, the old is gone, the new has come, and oftentimes we are tempted to go running back to the old. That's not what Elisha did. He said, no, I'm not kind of in, I don't kind of sort of have faith, I am all in. I don't know if he felt prepared, but he answered the call, took the mantle, and then something really crazy happens. So Elijah and Elisha are walking together, and this is actually something that has become legend in the Old Testament for the Jewish people, and that is something happened to Elijah that nobody could really explain. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. What just have, Wait. Did anybody else see this, Elisha? Like, what? What happened? So you're saying Elijah didn't die, but he was taken up miraculously by these chariots of fire, and this whirlwind, and he went up to heaven. That's what I'm saying. Now, don't miss the point. Remember, I said when we're going through the Old Testament, don't get hung up on the hang-ups. So it would be easy to be like, well, I don't know. Well, that's really true. Although, if you believe in the God of the universe, this isn't a huge leap, but... But, you know, it's, no, I mean, listen, it could have happened. Don't get hung up on that. The point is the point, and that is, what was he doing? He was showing the power of God is greater than the power of this world. All of this is about showing God's power over all the powers, lowercase p, that people thought were in existence all around them. It's the power of God that you don't even realize is there, but just trust that it is. That's greater. In other words, trust God more than you trust all these lesser powers. Elisha also had special meaning. You know, interesting, his name also meant, uh, had some meaning called, my God is salvation. He also showed miraculous displays of power in a very similar way to Elijah. There's a healing of the water at Jericho uh, where the the well water had gone bad and he prayed for healing and it was restored and miraculous food precision, resurrection of someone's son. And you see, wait a minute, I'm noticing a pattern here. Why? Because God's literally dropping Easter eggs on getting us ready for Jesus. It's the preview of things to come. This is how we recognize Jesus and who he is and what it means is because we've seen it all along. It it awakens something in in us so that when we hear about Jesus, we can feel the truth behind it. This is the same God at work. This is why it matters that we care about the Old Testament. This is one of the reasons. Because it's meant to set us up to understand the main event. So Elijah and Elisha both have significance in their names. They show God's power over creation, God bringing life and resurrection of a son. Where are we going to see that again? And remember, the whole point is to bring people back. Just like the Shema, that Deuteronomy passage we looked at weeks ago. Hear, O God. here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. It's kind of a climactic moment in Elisha's life. He's about to be attacked by a foreign king, the king of Aram, tries to destroy Elisha. Aram, if you look at that map, it's that northern part, kingdom of Aram, Damascus, to attack Israel. And and the thinking was, get rid of Elisha, get rid of the power of God. Didn't go so well, but that was the thinking. So let's look at that real quick, 2 Kings 6. Then he, the king of Aram, sent Horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? the servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked. And saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And this is where it comes to meet us in our everyday life that the power of God, which is always there and we can't see, outnumbers the powers of darkness that we face. Here we go again with the chariots of fire. What was that all about? The power of God is greater than the power of this world. You may not see it, but don't be be fooled. Don't be tempted to go for the quick fix because you can't see how God's going to work it out. God will. God's armies are ready. They're waiting. And nothing is a match for them. Not even your biggest problem. Not even your deepest fear. None of it's a match for what God can do because the truth is there's no quick fix for the needs of life, only the lifelong process of being fixed by Jesus, right? But that's not just it. There's one more thing. Goes back to the mantle. You and I, on the other side of the cross, have been handed the mantle of the prophets to tell the world who really has the power where salvation really comes from. What matters most and where our allegiance lies. Second Corinthians puts it this way. It's actually just three verses after the old has gone, the new has come verse. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In other words, don't forget, if you've forgotten, come running back. Pick up the mantle that he's handed you to know not only what he's done for you, that he's going to show up again today and tomorrow and the next day, but to let everybody else in your life know the same thing. I'll end with this. When that movie Chariots of Fire came out, I remember I went to go see it with my stepdad, and we were expecting, like, Gladiator. And it was about running in the 1924 Paris Olympics, like, as a kid, that was the most exciting movie ever. That being said, it was the perfectly named movie, and it perfectly applies to us in this way. We are God's messengers. God's chariots of fire are lined up on the hill on our behalf. Our job is to show and to trust with our lives that the power of God is the greater, is greater than the power of this world. And this is what Eric Little did in the 1924 games. He was a Scottish-born son of missionaries. And he took a stand that he wouldn't run on Sunday because he didn't think it would honor the Lord. He didn't want to break the Sabbath. And that story became legendary. Later, he became a missionary to China. He did amazing things, trusting that God's power, God's chariots of fire were there every step of the way, through every hurdle, through every challenge, And he so honored God with his life. And this is what God caused all of us to do. We are the prophets we've been waiting to hear. The power of God lives in us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. This is a chapter in your story. Amen. As we invite the band to come back up and... Sing us out. Let me offer this word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for who you are and what you have done and continue to do. Help us to trust you with the weight of our lives, knowing that you will show up, knowing that even though we might not get a quick fix, we are going to get a slow but faithful healing that will make us healthier than we ever could have been on our own. May you show up in our lives and may we recognize it when it happens. Lord, bless us as we go into our lives this week in Jesus' name, amen.